0: made in the trade star trek the trial of james t kirk i'm here with jay becker hi once again How are you, Jay?
1: I'm doing well. Apparently, I do those episodes that feature Peter David as a writer. Peter
0: David written trades so far exclusive to Jay Becker. (laughs) No exception here. Star Trek, Trial of James T. Kirk, written by... Peter David, of course, and it is a conglomeration of six issues from the DC Comics series. That's correct. This uh, is the second series. It is right. And who did the first one? Was it Marvel? Who did that?
1: Well, there was a Marvel series, which then then they went to DC, and then that was canceled and rebooted mm. with uh with some more strict strictures from from Roddenberry. Well, or well, the, let's, let's say the people in charge. This is Roddenberry was sort of losing a little control of the mm. the, the you know, not I mean. Of the the property, he was older, and so mm-hmm. uh, not unlike what's happening with Disney and Star Wars right now. Yeah. I mean, so there was a new, you know, let's let's. So what they did was there's a uh, Peter had introduced a lot of side characters, including a Klingon who was part of the Federation, mm-hmm. uh, a non official officer on the Enterprise. It's
0: not related to this trade. No, and he okay. had
1: he had re, he had introduced some of the characters from the animated series as side characters. And, okay. Uh, when they so they decided they didn't want that, and so they rebooted the series basically.
0: But it was still the DC. It was still under DC.
1: Still under DC, and so all that stuff went away. And they said. So what they- we're reading here is the second, the second DC yes. series, it's issues seven through twelve.
0: Ultimately, yes, like I said, there's six issues. It leads up to the the title of the trade, which is the Trial of Captain Kirk, and
1: which is about a trial of. Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk.
0: (laughs) And uh, it predates the trial we see in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. One might read this and think, oh, well, well, they've already done this in the movies, but they didn't at the time this was released. And the actual trial itself is riddled with a whole bunch of references to the original series. give a little bit of an explanation for the five issues that lead up to the trial we get introduced to the title character of the first issue which is not sweeney and yes the name of the character is sweeney who is a mysterious bounty hunter yes who we see is faceless for most of the issue just
1: a large shadowy creature.
0: yeah like a wraith just with glowing red eyes and a cloak and is extremely tall so he's very intimidating and merciless merciless he's shooting people with his eye beams as a, a powerful spaceship towards the end we see that he's this foppish british sounding type guy
1: yes with a little mustache and his. yes head. turns out he's much more of a classy gentleman than we expected
0: right and the crux of the story is a pair of alien races not just the klingons but the nazgul nazgul
1: which of course is i think peter being clever with the lord of the rings reference Okay, There's
0: the wraiths, the, the ring re- wraiths, the ring wraiths. Okay, and also the version of Sweeney we see is looks kind of wraith like. Yes. Too. So okay, that makes perfect sense. He'd read a copy of Lord of the Rings before this, also before the movies came out. So the Nazgul as well as the Klingons want Kirk. I
1: think Nazgul are the main people who hire Sweeney okay. to track down, to track down Kirk to bring him to justice.
0: Okay. Sweeney encounters them in the first issue by the second issue they have an immediate confrontation and he overpowers the great kirk and spock simultaneously he
1: is impervious to spock's nerve pinch
0: yes and kirk can't get the drop on him with his phaser he uh gives kirk a little taste of his eye beams there from his visor and uh, also there's a character who's kind of sent by the f- federation what's her name brand
1: rj brand rj brand and she's sort of in charge of Making sure that Kirk's decisions are abiding by Federation law, Mm -hmm. specifically the prime directive. Right. And she's also there as a romantic, possible romantic foil. There's sort of that... Love-hate relationship there. There's a lot of sparks flying between them because you know Kirk is a he's a man who uh, does what he does, and he doesn't need anybody telling him, especially a woman. Um, But (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, but I think they deal well with that whole idea. Mm -hmm. When we talk a little more detail, we'll talk a little bit about the, you know, Kirk's misogyny and the feminist issues. They don't, they don't just sort of brush over that
0: no they don't that definitely happens here whenever the Federation sends a a senior officer or or even even if if it's a citizen who has autonomy by the Federation you know they're going to be a jerk to the captain (laughs) never fails usually (laughs) if you're a senior ranking officer and you're on the Enterprise you're in for it so Sweeney has these two captured as well as brand but there's a rescue
1: and meanwhile, so we have them on the ship of Sweeney's ship, and meanwhile, mm-hmm. the Enterprise is there with several other Federation ships. Meanwhile, the Nazgul and the Klingons are also coming in, all trying to get get to uh, Kirk, and they're orbiting a planet which is not only needs medical assistance but is about to explode. I mean, let's just stack up some you know drama here, some stakes. Right. They're having, you know, and of course, Kirk's Sulu's in charge because Sulu's got the con, right? And so he's got orders to kind of maintain up there, keep it from getting too uh, heated. And meanwhile Kirk's on a ship.
0: Yeah, so Sulu's piloting the Enterprise. Once again, some allusions to Sulu getting his own command, but this really they've no information about Star Trek Six when they write this story, so in my personal like of Star Trek Six, that's one of the things that drew me to this story. Like I, I saw a lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a huge fan of Star Trek 6. So Zulu's in command. They get to trying to rescue Kirk. There's a little bit of judo going on between Kirk and Sweeney.
1: Well, eventually uh, Kirk uh, is able to bring down the shields and they'll be able to be beamed beamed over to the Enterprise. Excellent. Sweeney's not happy about it. But he lives to fight another day. I'm assuming Peter may have had plans to bring him back in the future, but he left the title before that happened, I think. I'll be honest, uh, I had not read a lot of the DC Star Trek. I've I not have
0: read. not either. Yes. I, in fact, this is really the only stuff I've read from the series at all.
1: I as well. So the Nazgul were introduced uh, as part of the comic universe. You know, okay, we, yeah. Uh, I've never seen them before. They're nope. Not, um, they're not television or movie canon by any stretch.
0: Not at all. But we do see some characters, some alien races we hadn't seen since the original series, like the Andorians. They've briefly mentioned occasionally Next Generation, but they never visualize them. It was only in the original series, and then years later on Enterprise with Scott Bakula.
1: There's one
0: who appeared, and I want to say six,
1: where there's a Star Trek sh- six. You might be right. There's there's a shot of like the, like the Federation Council or something, mm-hmm. or, or I th- or maybe it's when they're giving command back to Kirk or something. But there's all these yeah. Federation. and there's one Andorian. I think so, he was in a Federation uniform. And I was very excited to see an Andorian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stupid geek excited to be like, mm-hmm. hey, look, it's the Andorian. <laughs> so the, the, those first two issues are basically a setup for the trial. That's where they're sort of heading in the direction of, you know, it's action with Sweeney, but that's not directly influenced of the trial. The next four issues is where they sort of get into it. There's the political, um, you know, we have the Klingons coming to the Federation, you know, the head of the Federation, Mm -hmm. uh, and the Nazgul saying, we demand his head, and meanwhile, you know, this is going on, so eventually they say, well, we will turn him over to you, and Kirk makes the same decision on his own, saying, you know, there's too much collateral damage going on. There's, there's, you know, I can't risk these innocent lives, so I will turn myself in enough of this nonsense.
0: So let's, uh, unless there's anything before the trial, let's go right into the trial. Okay. In the trial... We've got same character representing Kirk that represented him back in the episode Court Martial, where Kirk was found on trial, right? Because for uh, ejecting a member of his crew, but
1: before he was allowed to, there's some sort of like right. he had. There's a certain point where he's allowed to eject the the scanner pod. Yeah, he wasn't at
0: red alert, but he claimed to be right. And, and, the, uh, and
1: the computer records showed that they were not.
0: They were not yet at red alert. They were at yellow alert, and he ejects the pod. And a certain character was in that pod. And blah 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 blah. He's really alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> blah blah blah. He's really alive, and he's trying to frame Captain Kirk right. because he's ma- because he's mad at Kirk because I I think because he, you know, because he passed him and passed over in him in the and, Starfleet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's jealous. And I think I think Kirk made out with his daughter at some point. Ooh. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I remember there being some hot 60s chick in there. So <laughs> S- so they get in Sam Cogsley. I don't know if you remember him. He's the guy who you know, professes that books are the best way to go in terms of right. reading. Yeah. And Sam Cogsley comes in to defend Captain Kirk. And then Ariel Shaw is the w- the prosecuting. She's a Starfleet prosecutor mm-hmm. for the court martial.
0: This is, you're talking about the episode? The
1: episode. But then this, we okay. find out that they are.
0: They are they're they married. They're a couple now. Yes. Okay, so in this trade, Cogsley is married to the opposing attorney from the Star Trek episode, Court Martial. Yes. Now, as most Star Trek fans, especially fans of Next Generation, they understand that Next Generation kind of took the Prime Directive very seriously, whereas original series used it as a plot point to violate at every point they got. Like, really, the only reason they invented the Prime Directive was just to break it.
1: Right. So the, Spock could say, but sir, the Prime Directive. <laughs> And then here <laughs> we go. Prime director be Damn Spunk.
0: They're innocent people. We have to save them. That's right. And so, in the process of the trial, we get characters from like a piece of the action Mr. Uh, Oxmix. Mr. Oxmix from a piece of the action in the episode of The Gangster Planet, where um, an alien race learned how to be gangsters from old Earth literature. Right. And so this character is saying, "Kirk's a, Kirk's a great mug." Yeah, he's
1: he great guy. He show he heard, apparently. The, I re looking at it. Mm-hmm. I thought he was called by the defense, but no, he just shows up because he okay. heard, cause the, Kirk's the big boss, and he mm-hmm. heard that Kirk's in trouble. Koik's in trouble, <laughs> and so he's there to help bail him out to, sell him, to tell him to tell him, as a character witness. Nice. Which is, of course, done to great comedic effect.
0: Yes, we see the child from Friday's Child all grown up
1: into a strapping young warrior. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded worse than I meant it to. Yes. His name is. Oh, uh, he's James Leonard. Le- yeah, J- Leonard James Akar. Leonard James Akar. <laughs> oh, sorry,
0: <laughs> Leonard gave uh, help with the delivery, so Julie Newmar's character.
1: That's right. It was Julie it Newmar, was Julie wasn't? Newmar. Oh, yes, it was. that's why. Yeah. So if, if remember, they go to this sort of uh, very honor. Honorable but kind of primitive culture, and there's a Klingon. The Klingons and the Federation are both there trying to make their points, and there's all kinds of you know various social mores they're not supposed to do. And when one of the guys kills the leader to take over the new leadership, that means mm-hmm. that his wife ha- and child have to die, right? Because she, his, her child would be the next leader, and then of course, the Federation ain't going to have nothing to do with that, yeah. So, you know, they they steal her away, and McCoy gives birth to the child. No, he doesn't give birth to He aids to, in giving birth he, to the <laughs> child? Yes, McCoy <laughs> gives birth to the child in a new bit of Star Trek. What? No, uh, He aids in giving birth to the child, who then appears in this as an adult, to say that Kirk is, without Kirk and McCoy, he would not be alive, and he's a great leader for their people now. And then we also, earlier, before actually... Oxmic shows up, we have Anon 7 from A Taste of Armageddon, which is the episode where the computer, mm. the, the, the planet's in in battle with another planet, but they don't fight them anymore. They just have the computer do simulations, and then however many people die, have to step into the disintegrator units, and the Enterprise is collateral damage, so he demands that all the... Uh,
0: the whole crew of the Enterprise be yeah, put to it, death. put to death. Despite, <laughs> despite Kirk probably saying, first of all, no way could you possibly... Shoot down the enterprise, and then, second of all, no, we're not going to do that,
1: and so, of course, he blows up their computer and right says, you know it's not war if you're not if there are no true consequences, there's no, mm-hmm. no if you don't get your hands dirty, it's not war,
0: right, yeah, they didn't have to build they didn't have to rebuild property, right people were still dying, but it was all their their cities still looked perfectly pristine,
1: right, so there was no yeah, so there's no destruction. They mm-hmm. could basically it was you know, oh, look at that, it's death time. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, you got to go. I'm going to stay because you died and I didn't.
0: You just got to go about your business.
1: So he shows up, and he's of course for the for the prosecution, Mm -hmm. saying that you know he he went against their their society, had worked it out, and he put them all at risk by destroying the computer.
0: And then eventually, it gets to this bomb plot.
1: Yes, the Emperor of the Klingon Empire shows up, Mm -hmm. and because he demands. Justice. He demands justice. And the Nazgul mysteriously disappear. Hmm. Um, And Kirk says, why is that? Why would they disappear? Unless, and Mm -hmm. I think he uses a tricorder or something Mm -hmm. to pinpoint, and it turns out that that they've planted it on one of the badges of honor on the emperor, emperor. Kirk saves him by throwing the bomb in the air. And then Kirk, because he saves the Emperor, has a blood, there's a, a blood debt there, and so he is not being held responsible for the death of Captain Krug from Star Trek Three, which is why the Klingons are so mad at him in the first place. Okay. And Maltz, actually, from Star Trek Three, the um, John Larroquette Klingon, mm-hmm. is actually called as a witness as well to, you know, oh. to badmouth Kirk a little bit, too. Okay, cool. So there's a lot of, I mean, they've drawn, they draw a lot of characters from throughout the history to, mm-hmm. to be part of this. Well, how did you feel about it overall, Jay? Well, I think it's a good like. I think it's a good character study. I think that they captured the characters very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fairly lighthearted story, right? In terms of, I mean, it's not heavy-handed.
0: It's no, there's, no, there's there's, there's a no lot of social the... agenda. I think it's more for Star Trek Star Trek fans,
1: <laughs> right? And there's there's a lot. He he tends to write a little more joke. Peter tends to write with some jokes in there. Keeps mm-hmm. it light throughout it, right? I'm not saying that it doesn't get serious, but he definitely has a a, a lighter touch to it than mm-hmm. some. Sometimes you go. I mean, if the messages are there, there also he has a good doling of humor in there. Yeah. Um. So I think that's a good story. I think the Sweeney part's a little. I mean, he's a decent character. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure he's the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. <laughs> there's no. <laughs> right. There's there's nothing. I mean, other than they tell us that he is, and everyone right. acts like he is, which I guess is, you know, what they say, but. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it, other than the fact that he's kind of ruthless, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem particularly scary. Right. I liked him more as a as an intellectual mm-hmm. foil for Spock. There's this great scene where they're playing chess. And yeah, Spock keeps winning, and he keeps blowing up the chessboards. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I so I found him. I think he'd be interesting as a as a, a villain in terms of using him as more of an intellectual foil, like yeah. rather than this sort of they're trying to make him as this you know, very scary, oh. Right. In fact, that's it's, oh no, not Sweeney.
0: Well, he's very much like the Wizard of Oz, man behind the curtain type deal. Yeah, that's you true. Know, he's, the way he's presented initially is like, oh, I could see how that's very intimidating. Someone who's so tall and void of any features and will just shoot people with their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems pretty intimidating, but right off the bat within the first issue, it's revealed that this the last type of image you would be, intimidated by, right?
1: Well, and they, and they let go of that sort of, if he's using some sort of, you know, whatever you want to call it, a graphic projector or something mm-hmm. to, pre- it just goes away. And once we see who it is, yeah. it's more like they're using it for the reveal rather than, right. Um, so that forced version, but I think the trial is actually, I, for being a Star Trek guy, I like the trial. I like revisiting some of these characters, mm-hmm. revisiting, uh, you know, this idea of the, you know, is Kirk really throwing out the prime directive? Mm-hmm. And I think the they kind of say that, yes, he does, but it's always for the bigger, greater good. Right. And, and I think that's kind of, I think, at least the message of the f- original series was, mm-hmm. you know, the greater good is better than... So it's better for these people to not use a computer to just walk like sheep mm-hmm. to a disintegrating unit, for him to take that decision and say, all right, it's time to start standing up and living for yourselves and making this decision. And in fact, this addresses that by saying, well, they say, okay, well now how's, well, they've actually come to peace. Now those two planets are at peace yeah. because the other planet felt the same way. They didn't want to have war either. So, well, and we were
0: talking about social messages where the, the actual TV episodes that we're referring to definitely did have those social messages. Like back in the late 60s, there was a concern, it still is today, about this advancement of technology leading people to be lazy or leading people to, you know, disregard morality. You know, this is ongoing themes we, we continue to see. I thought those were interesting messages for the episodes. Unfortunately, this, you know, is kind of lighthearted as far as any sort of social messages. But like I said, this is for Star Trek fans. Right. And I really do love the way the characters are represented in this because I really do hear the voice of the actors coming through everyone. Like really each character that's represented in here, whether it be Kirk, Spock, McCoy, or even Sulu or Uhura. Like I... I feel like this is something that they would say nothing seems particularly out of character for what they're what they're saying
1: i agree wholeheartedly i think he really captures the voices of the characters. and Mm -hmm. i mean for those who aren't familiar peter david has written many many star trek novels both next generation and original series stuff or or movies if you will Mm -hmm. um he's then he created his own offshoot called new frontiers with a which included some some new characters plus some other side characters from next generation Mm -hmm. who sort of became part of that crew i mean so he's he's you know, I've been a very popular Star Trek writer for years. Mm-hmm. And you're right, absolutely. I think he captures, absolutely captures the voices of the characters. He captures
0: the voice of the characters, but also there's the the fun and action aspect of Star Trek, I think, is is present here. It's well-paced. And then ultimately, the, the catch-all save of Kirk is just him being heroic. Right. He jumps in and saves the day. And then, oh, well, I guess Kirk's not so bad. More or less how... He gets out of every bind at the end of any Star Trek episode is just being heroic and doing the impossible.
1: We can't be mad at him, he just saved the universe. Yeah. We can't be mad at him, he just saved the whales and the Golden Gate Bridge or whatever. Right. You know? Yeah.
0: He always just pulls off some miracle, kinda of pats himself on the back and politely thanks his crew and then moves about his business.
1: So one of the interesting things happened to this is they've they introduced this character of R J. Brand. You know? Yeah. She's she's not an officer, but she's a she's still, you know, representing the Federation. She's mm-hmm. more of you know, she represents the Federation as compared to Starfleet. Yeah. Um, And they start playing with this idea of, you know, one of the first confrontations is you don't like me because I'm a woman. You Mm -hmm. don't like taking orders from me because I'm a woman. And then she even proves it by kind of flirting with him. And he sort of softens up a bit and she kind of, you know, turns it on him and says, see, you know, the only reason you're doing that is because I'm flirting with you. Mm -hmm. But it turns out, you know, there's some, there's some sparks behind there. They explore throughout this, you know, if you want to call it b-plot there's this b-plot of you know she, does she like him or not and there's mm-hmm. a, there's a conversation with uhura where they are they're they're swimming mm-hmm. in they talk if we talk about misogyny and then the artist has drawn her with a swimsuit that bears one of her breasts completely but yeah but her hair always conveniently covers uh-huh. you know most of it but you know so they because that's a very popular swim statement in the the, the <laughs> was it 24th century is it I guess yeah. it was
0: one of those things where you know as we progressed in you know through history especially in the early 90s there was like well how far is it going to go you know, I think the thong had just been introduced a couple of years earlier. <laughs> so, like, how much more can you reveal in a swimsuit? So I think that was just speaking to that. It's like, what if just one breast is hanging out? Well, sure, why not? Of course, I mean, he also draws Uhura. So, like, she's a 20-year-old. Right? True. Yeah, I mean, he... Just her face looks like the actress, but the rest of her is, like, in perfect condition. Yeah.
1: So, um, and they they address some of those... Uh, they address some of those things. They, they talk... They, there's a little thing between Scotty and Uhura where they kind of address what happened. The fifth one where they kind of make out. um so but they have a conversation where she they you know who says look i've known the captain a long time and he can be infuriating but he's also one of the greatest you know guys you could know and so they go so they they use that sort of thing to address you know i mean kirk has a conversation with mccoy where he says you know am am i a misogynist am i am i Mm. and he says i yeah and he kind of they never quite hit on it but he says he kind of calls him on both the truth of it and also the the lie of it. That no, he he does like women, but he also has a, respects women too. So right, there's some nice touches. Um, Scotty visits Peter Preston's grave. That's right. He has a moment. Now forgive
0: where... me, because I hadn't read this in quite some time. So Jay is the one here who's most fresh on the story. Uh, so that's why he's kind of leading the conversation here. And and uh, by all means, please lead away. Um, but that's great i love the uh, the references they do for the the whole genre just overall just all of the original series and the movies so yeah he's visiting his nephew's grave who per- perished in star trek 2 wrath of khan right who stayed at his post
1: right for so he visits and has a chance to say i'm sorry it's taken me so long to get there a lot of things have happened you yeah. know between all the movies and stuff but mm-hmm. it, and so he and and that's one of the strengths that um again I I, I admit I'm a big fan of Peter's writing I Mm -hmm. think he he is able to he looks at uh, the previous stories and says okay is there something more that can be touched on or something that even if it's a short scene like that you know you know he looks at that he remembers that you know this was Scotty's nephew and we haven't seen him since so Mm -hmm. let's address that or even when we talk when Oxmix shows up yeah one of the last things in the episode is McCoy says I think I left my communicator there right and Oxmix Mm -hmm. At the very end, before he leaves it, throws it back to McCoy and says, you know, I've been keeping this safe for you. Right. So basically he closes the door on that, that they're not going to want a piece of their action anymore. Yeah, yeah. So little details like that where he likes to sort of either add to the, continue the story or take Mm -hmm. the detail and, you know, give it a little flip. And that's nice. I mean, for for fans of the original series or the movies.
0: I think that's what fans are looking for. If you're going to revisit a franchise like you're doing in this comic book. Like, isn't that exactly what you're looking for? Because you you all have this shared... The writer here is clearly a fan, but, like, you all have this shared knowledge of the franchise so why not borrow from that and insert it into there's always an unanswered question in any given
1: story because you can only tell so much in an hour or a two-hour movie right so these are this gives them a chance to expand on that story or... mm-hmm.
0: and the opportunity to develop a character so you get you get more of what goes on in Scotty's mind and his heart in general when he's not doing all the stuff we see in those movies and yeah as far as these other movies Star Trek 345 you're not going to have him mention Peter in any of these movies because it's completely irrelevant to anything that's going on at the time so it's nice that they could take a little break here in the comic books and show some references to people's favorite movies and speaking of Mm -hmm. just
1: a real quick real world star trek coming into the real world of course we all remember in star trek 4 scotty teaches how to to make transparent aluminum right and just recently Mm -hmm. they have announced that there is a transparent Basically, aluminum is yeah, being created. For, for body armor, I think. Yeah, for body armor and things like that. So yeah. look at that. Star Trek has arrived. <laughs> I mean, it's Scotty, you made it happen. Finally. Yeah. I mean,
0: like, we, we've already got other examples, but, like, that was one of those things where you kind of thought it was just fantasy. Transparent aluminum, how do you make any metal transparent? Well, there's some sort of aluminum alloy yeah. combined with some other materials that makes it transparent, so that's that's exciting to see, and it's practically in use.
1: There's a, a little B story of uh, Sulu, who's, of course, in, he's, being, he's in command. Mm-hmm. This is pre-Excelsior, but he's in command, but he has two younger officers who are vying for his attention. Okay. They are sort of butting heads one of them literally because she's got ram horns. (laughs) She's a hot, sexy lady with ram horns. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he basically says, this has got to stop. You know, this is ridiculous. This is a, this is a, you know, this is the the Starfleet vessel. You can't behave like this. Mm -hmm. You need to make a decision. And then, and so basically it turns around and kind of, Bites him on them because they both decide to leave the Enterprise for their own reasons. Mm. Um, and so he says, "Well, that didn't turn out the way I thought it would, <laughs> the way I hoped it would." So, right? But you know, kind of exploring Sulu is you know a, a little bit of a romantic interest for the ladies. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about the art in these issues. There's two artists: there's Gordon Purcell and James Fry. Mm-hmm. When they're taking the time to do it, mm-hmm. like in close-up. They really capture the faces.
0: Right. You can definitely tell. You look who. and you, go,
1: you say, "That's you know, that looks like William Shatner. That right. looks like Leonard Nimoy. Some of the characters he doesn't have photo reference for, for lack of a better term. Like this woman on the planet that's going to blow up. They're just a little more cartoony. He doesn't uh-huh. have the detail work. I think his action is really sloppy mm-hmm. and hard to tell. Like just bodies flying everywhere. Right. There's one point late in the story where Scotty is clearly from the dialogue on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And he draws him in the courtroom. A oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I find the art to be a little times when it's really sloppy, or there's yeah, times where, like, you're right. like, from a distance, if they doesn't, if he's not taking the time, mm-hmm. if he's not just like a, a static shot of a face,
0: right? Which
1: uh, it, they tend to, then he sort of loses some of that recognition. And stuff. there's
0: one early and on that planet, I think that's about to get blow up. He, he clearly used Roddenberry as a photo reference. Yeah, I think the man that's with that woman you're you're describing. Yes.
1: He does some of that. There's some mm-hmm. people and there's a, a DeFalco who's uh, uh, D comma or D apostrophe Falco, but it's actually based on Tom DeFalco and he's the Birdman, but he looks very much like Tom DeFalco, the <laughs> editor for one of the editors for Marvel. For Marvel. Yeah. So I, I you know. I mean, if you have to you, know, you have to look at art with a, a comic book too and i found myself sure. i found the art somewhat distracting at times so the, that mm-hmm. maybe that's why the trial worked better for me as well because it was mm-hmm. a little more static Right. it didn't rely on action so much yeah for me to enjoy so I, and because I think the there's facial
0: some fr- scenes in space too where it looks a little muddled oh yeah and right like, there again i think he was just i i don't think he understood how to get as many ships as he needed to in the frame and so they're kind of all in awkward they're
1: angles. Stacked on top of each other. <laughs> you know, like his, his, his Federation ships, again, very nice. But mm-hmm. any, all the ships he had to create of his uh, whole cloth yeah. are, look, are kind of not <laughs> real legit looking. Right. Um, so there's, there are some weaknesses to the art. Mm-hmm. I don't think it detracts from the story because you know it is so character-driven. I don't think it's where I would say, oh, you shouldn't read this because the art is... Yeah. I, I think it's definitely worth reading. If you're a Star Trek fan... Mm -hmm. Uh, especially of the original series and the original characters. I think this has got so much right for, uh, for someone to just latch onto Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of revisit and say, Oh, look at that. I remember that guy. Or, I mean, the scene with Leonard James, Akar is very powerful where he, you know, how, how strongly he feels about what Kirk did and that, you know, he actually kneels before him and places his hand on his head and says, Mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, I I only hope that I can honor you. I mean, these, these are, there's some powerful stuff there. I mean, you know, as powerful as you can get in a comic book. Sure,
0: sure. Yeah, that's um, that's one of the the main reasons why I picked this out of all the Star Trek stories out there is just because I don't read the series, but I'm a Star Trek fan. So, yeah, if you being a Star Trek fan out there listening, I definitely recommend this uh, trial of James T. Kirk to to give it a read. It's definitely worth your time. Um, if, if you are going to read a comic book based on Star Trek. Do you have any other Star Trek comic books that you've uh, you've read that you enjoyed?
1: Um, well, I mean, back in the day, there were the old Gold Key Star Treks, and they were horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, not those. No, not those. I ne- I actually never really followed the Star Trek comics so much. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of the novels, but I never really right. read many of the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that eventually, right after this storyline, very soon after this, Peter left because he clashed with the editor. Oh, was, wow. Yeah, they... Uh, the story is that he kept re- He was really he kept cutting ideas and cutting stories, and mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, Peter said, you know, his idea of a good Star Trek story was a gold key issue of Star Trek.
0: Oh, you're talking about his editor. His, his, oh, his okay, ed, yeah. okay.
1: the editor Richard Taylor was kept cutting Peter's ideas, or he'd submit scripts and he says, "No, that won't work," huh. And you know, it's too violent, or this and oh wow. So Peter kind of, with tongue in cheek, said, "Well, his idea of a good Star Trek story is a, <laughs> a gold key comic." Okay. Um, and so it kind of led to a clash to the point where he actually submitted a story with actually more violence under mm-hmm. a pseudonym, mm-hmm. and it passed with flying colors. And so Peter realized that. This really had nothing to do with... Oh, wow. It was more of a, a personality clash with the editor. Oh, brother. So um, Peter left the book, and the funny the little you know, cap on that is that the name that the script was submitted under was Robert Bruce Banner. <laughs> so he didn't even get that reference? No. <laughs> nice. And, and Peter's done that before, where he, if he feels it's going in an editorial direction, he just... Right, can't tell a story. He'll he'll leave the book, which I kind of respect.
0: Sure, absolutely. And I have read one of his Star Trek novels. I read Vendetta from Next Generation. Uh, That was a good story. Did you ever read that? I
1: think I I, I'm pretty sure I have. I just don't remember it. The one I remember, of course, is Imzadi, which is the classic, describing that the 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 connection between. Deanna Troy, and, and Riker and Riker which yeah is a... a friend of mine read that
0: I did not read that the Vendetta book involved a another version of the Doomsday Machine that was being piloted by someone from Guinan's race
1: yes yes I do yeah, and I... so
0: this this character had a Vendetta against the Borg they reveal in this book the Doomsday Machine was designed to be an anti-Borg machine and so it's devouring of planets was just to consume enough fuel to get to the Borg and wipe them out
1: that's right I now I I do recall that yeah so
0: and so the next generation crew encounter the like and and hilarity ensues so to speak
1: I actually you know kind of researching this I kind of was reading more about that first DC run Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of interesting I might have to go back and if I can find it read some of those early issues because there's a lot of fun stuff they're doing with you know so, sort of expanding the universe uh, mm-hmm. with new characters. This idea of a you know a Klingon on board before we ever got introduced to Wharf and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's true. So I might I, I might check out some of those when I have a chance. So you know, this
0: one um, was a few years after Next Generation. This particular story we read right next, Gen- next Generation yeah. Yeah. started. But you're talking about stuff that preceded it. Yeah,
1: the, the, this it started. I think that one started in 1984, and okay. so that precedes the Next Generation. And by this point, yeah, we're back right. to... Next Generation is now airing and mm-hmm. we're sort of wrapping up the original. But you're saying
0: the first time that you saw a Klingon on board the Enterprise or just any Federation ship?
1: The this first was in, was, in, was in the Star Trek comics, in the, the, Trek D, the Comic. first run of the DC. In run. 84. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, this has actually made me pique my interest into reading more of the Star Trek uh, mm-hmm. comics. Cool. So that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Of course, I'm sure I'll be back when we're doing Peter David's Aquaman run or something like
0: that. List of Peter David trades you would like us to review. We'll be sure to have Jay Becker back to review it. Well, I thank you very much for having me on Made in the Trade. I'm glad to have you back, Jay. Thank you very much, and we hope you'll come back to listen to our next trade. Thank you.